0: Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Monday, August 21st, and Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. Uh, Thanks to subscribers, paid subscribers, for indulging my impromptu day off yesterday. Uh, Let's get into it. There are a couple of anniversaries over the last couple of days to talk about. uh, On August 21st, 1415, Portuguese forces under King John I and his son, Enrique, uh, the future Prince Henry the Navigator captured the city of Ceuta from the Moroccan Marina, Marina dynasty. Ceuta uh, was the first possession in what would become the Portuguese Empire and served as a staging ground for the Portuguese to capture several other cities around the northwest African coast. It's a Spanish city today. Uh, Spain kept it after the 16th, 17th century Iberian Union tragically broke apart. Uh, Spain kept the city for itself uh, in the divorce. On August 21st, 1791, slaves in Saint-Domingue attended a voodoo ceremony in the evening and then afterward began a mass uprising. This insurrection, of course, marked the start of the Haitian Revolution, the most successful slave revolt in the Americas. Haiti won its independence from France, effective on January 1st, 1804. The impact of the revolution on slavery in the Americas continues to be a matter of scholarly debate, but at the time, the uprising so terrified U.S. slaveholders that the Jefferson administration imposed an embargo on Haiti that remained in place until 1862, and one might argue the U.S. has never really left Haiti alone uh, since then. On August 22, 1864, an international convention held in Geneva produced a treaty outlining humane rules of war, including provisions for the treatment of sick and wounded soldiers. That treaty would subsequently be amended and expanded four times and is the basis of the first Geneva Convention, which was adopted along with the other three Geneva Conventions in 1949. On to the news, in the Middle East, in Syria, Russian airstrikes in northwestern Syria's Idlib province killed at least 13 people, including Hayat Tahrir al fighters, on Monday, according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. Several other people were wounded, some seriously, so the death toll may rise. Uh, two more Russian airstrikes late Tuesday reportedly killed at least two people. Uh, also on Monday, an Israeli airstrike near Damascus wounded one soldier, according to Syrian media. Uh, And anti-government protests are continuing, and there are indications that the unhappiness is spreading out of its original nexus in southern Syria. The demonstrations so far have not been large. We've been sort of covering them in the newsletter. But with no respite for the languishing Syrian economy in sight, the potential for escalation is significant. In Israel-Palestine, Israeli forces killed a Palestinian teenager on Tuesday during an arrest raid in a town outside the West Bank city of Jenin. As ever, the Israelis are claiming self-defense. The previous day, Palestinian gunmen killed one Israeli and wounded another near Hebron. Israeli authorities have arrested two people in connection with that incident. And the New Arab is reporting that Israeli forces opened fire on a crowd of Palestinian demonstrators near the Gaza fence, uh, also on Monday, wounding at least 18 of them. Uh, in the United Arab Emirates, the Wall Street Journal had a little investigative piece this week suggesting that the UAE has been one of the big winners of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. i uh, read you the first couple of paragraphs here. A year and a half into the Ukraine conflict, few countries have capitalized on the economic opportunities quite like the United Arab Emirates, giving Russian President Vladimir Putin's war effort a lift while boosting this Persian Gulf state. Banks here are poaching talent from Moscow to manage a gusher of Russian money. Dubai traders are moving more Russian oil and gold than ever before, and Russian buyers fuel this city's real estate boom, often dealing in cash. The warming ties have disturbed the UAE's closest security partner, the U.S., but Russian money has become too important to the Emirati economy to turn down. Uh, now, UAE officials insist, this is me again, insist that they're not flouting sanctions and are, in fact, regularly communicating with officials in the U.S. and the European Union to ensure compliance. The U.S. government seems to be giving the Emiratis some leeway as long as they stick to the basic letter of the law sanctions-wise, which, for example, means the UAE is able to import Russian crude as long as it adheres to the U.S.-EU Russian oil price cap. Uh in Saudi Arabia, Human Rights Watch citing an unnamed Saudi government source is claiming that Saudi security forces last year killed some 430 Ethiopians attempting to enter the kingdom from Yemen. It's possible that some of these deaths may have occurred amid armed conflict between the Saudis and northern Yemeni rebels, uh though the rebels are accusing the Saudis uh of intentional attacks. Uh, on asylum seekers. And some of the deaths have occurred since the rebels and the Saudis established a ceasefire last April. Now, to be fair, most of them appear to predate that ceasefire. Uh, Saudi officials have dismissed HRW's report as, quote, unfounded and not based on reliable sources. End quote. The Ethiopian government says it intends to investigate HRW's claims alongside Saudi authorities. Uh, In Iran, the Iranian military says it has developed a new drone, the Mahajir 10. Uh, that looks an awful lot like the US MQ-9 Reaper and has enough range to strike targets in Israel. It's unclear whether the Iranians have had access to a Reaper or its schematics, and in fairness, it's also unclear whether this new drone does what the Iranians say it does. Uh, Iran has yet to use any of its supposed long-range drones in combat, and, you know, it's probably best for everybody that they keep it that way. Elsewhere, the U.S. government has finally offloaded some 800,000 barrels of oil from an Iranian tanker, the Suez Rajan, that it seized back in April. It's taken this long to get the oil off the ship in part because the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has been threatening to retaliate against any shipping company that participated in the seizure. The delay generated some criticism from within the U.S. Congress toward the Biden administration for appearing to give in to that IRGC threat. The offloading may add to an already tense environment in the Persian Gulf where the U.S. military has been increasing its presence in response to alleged Iranian threats to commercial shipping. In Asia and Afghanistan, according to the United Nations, the Afghan Taliban has carried out at least 218 extrajudicial executions involving people who worked in some capacity for Afghanistan's previous government since it retook power two years ago. Uh, If accurate uh, or even partially accurate, this would, of course, undermine the Taliban's claim that it had granted a general amnesty to such individuals. Afghan officials are still insisting that the amnesty is official policy and say that they will investigate any claims of non-adherence by their security forces. In Pakistan, Pakistani authorities say that Indian forces shot and killed a civilian near the line of control in Kashmir on Monday. They termed the shooting unprovoked, and to my knowledge, there's been no response from Indian officials. On Tuesday, meanwhile, Pakistani Taliban militants attacked a security convoy in Khyber, Pakhtunkhwa province, killing at least six soldiers. Four attackers were also killed. Uh, In Thailand, that country finally has a government more than five months after May's general election, a coalition led by the Pew Thai Party uh, with businessman Seta Tavisin – sorry if I'm mangling these names – at its head one confirmation on Tuesday with 482 votes in the combined 750-seat Thai parliament. Uh, new prime, prime Minister Sretta's uh, eclectic coalition appears to have a majority in the House of Representatives, though its ability to pass legislation is yet to be seen given its apparent lack of ideological cohesion. In advance of the confirmation, vote, Vopu Thai figurehead and former Prime Minister Thaksin Shinawatra Ch- uh, returned to Thailand for the first time since he fled prosecution back in 2008 to years after a military coup ended his premiership. He was immediately arrested and in theory is looking at an eight-year prison sentence, but it seems likely that he returned with the understanding that his sentence would be shortened. Uh, in Cambodia, a new Cambodian government under first-time Prime Minister Hun Menet officially took power on Tuesday when it won unanimous confirmation in the Cambodian National Assembly. Hun Menet takes over for his father, Hun Sen, who stepped aside following last month's election. Hun Sen is likely to remain Cambodia's de facto leader as he is planning to have himself made president of the Cambodian Senate and has reserved the right to take over as PM again should Junior stumble on the job. Uh, In North Korea, the North Korean government has informed Japan that it is intending to conduct a space launch sometime in the next week or so. This probably means another attempt at putting a spy satellite into orbit following their most most recent failed effort in May. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has made getting a spy satellite into orbit a core national security objective. All North Korean space launches draw criticism from South Korea and Western governments for arguably violating UN restrictions on Pyongyang's ballistic missile program. Uh, in Africa and Sudan, the Sudanese military and the rapid support forces have spent the past three days battling over control of the military's armored corps base in Khartoum. Uh, RSF fighters reportedly all but seized the base on Monday, but the military regrouped and pushed them back on Tuesday. Apart from this base, the military's only other remaining position in the capital is the army headquarters, so it is likely to put up a considerable fight before it cedes control to the RSF. There have been reports of civilian casualties but no specific figures are available. In Niger, an apparent jihadist attack targeted a National Guard unit in southwestern Niger's uh, Tilaberi region on Sunday, killing at least 12 people. After a decline in the frequency of such incidents over the first half of 2023, militants may be trying to exploit the upheaval caused by last month's coup to escalate their operations. The African Union on Tuesday suspended Niger's membership in response to said coup, but it stopped short of endorsing a potential military intervention by the economic community of West African states to restore civilian rule. Instead, the bloc's Peace and Security Council called for an assessment of the potential implications of such an operation. It's unclear whether ECOWAS would be prepared to go forward with an invasion without AU support. What is clear is that ECOWAS isn't pleased with the Nigerian junta's offer of a three-year transition, Transition back to civilian governments. Uh, this is not surprising. ECOWAS is still demanding a restoration of the pre coup government after all. Uh, and precedent from Mali and Burkina Faso suggests the gang will insist on a two year transition uh, at most. Uh, Meanwhile, ECOWAS sanctions, in particular the Nigerian government's decision to cut its export of electricity to Niger, are taking a serious toll. The UN, for example, is reportedly running emergency generators across Niger to preserve at-risk vaccine stockpiles. A large convoy carrying basic goods entered Niger from neighboring Burkina Faso on Sunday, but that route is unsafe due to jihadist violence and that corridor is unlikely to become a stable lifeline for Niger. Jerry ends. Uh, in the Central African Republic, uh, that country's constitutional court on Monday confirmed the results of last month's constitutional referendum. The results will, among other things, allow President Faustine Archange Tuadera to, to run for another term in 2025. So, you know, at least he's got that going for him. Uh, in Ethiopia, the Ethiopian government is apparently planning to organize a referendum to determine the status of the territory currently known as the western part of the Tig- Tigray region. That area has been disputed by the Tigray and Amhara communities for decades, and Amhara regional security forces occupied it during the Ethiopian government's 2020-2022 war against the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Ethiopian Defense Minister Abraham Belay referred to the Amhara op- occupation as an, quote, illegal administration. End quote in a Facebook post on Tuesday, and said it would be dissolved ahead of the referendum, the date of which has yet to be determined. Abraham is Tigrayan, uh, but remained loyal to the federal government during the TPLF conflict, and there's no reason to believe that he's speaking out of turn now. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, militants attacked three villages in the eastern DRC's Aturi province on Monday, killing at least <clears throat> 23 people. Excuse me. There's no confirmation as to the attacker's identity. But local officials seem to be pointing the finger at the Allied Democratic Forces militia. Uh, in Zimbabwe, voters are headed to the polls on Wednesday for a general election whose headline race is shaping up to be a rematch of the 2018 presidential election between incumbent Emerson Mnangagwa and challenger Nelson Chamisa. Despite a very weak economy, the result is likely to be the same now as it was then, uh, a narrow Mnangagwa win under suspicion that the vote was rigged. In South Africa, leaders from the BRICS member states, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, gathered in Johannesburg on Tuesday for the start of their three-day summit. Uh, Well, most of them anyway. Russian President Vladimir Putin is not attending, largely because of his indictment by the International Criminal Court. Uh, Since South Africa is an ICC member state, authorities would technically be obliged to arrest Putin if he were to turn up. Several countries have applied for membership in the bloc, and the gang is aiming to reach some sort of consensus about expansion by the end of the summit. Though there are reportedly serious internal disagreements on that subject, they'll also discuss ways to in, uh, to reduce uh, the dollars U.S. Uh, or the U.S. dollars rather global prominence. Uh, though a Brazilian proposal for a common BRICS currency has apparently already been nixed in Europe. Uh, in Russia, Ukrainian media is ha- hailing Ukrainian saboteurs for recent drone strikes that hit two Russian air bases, uh, one on Saturday and the other on Monday, destroying at least two Russian bombers. Uh, these strikes hit the Solsky air base uh, in northwestern Russia's Novgorod Oblast on Saturday, uh, and the Shaikovka air base in southwestern Russia's Kaluga Oblast on Monday. Both are pretty far from the Ukrainian border, with Solzhi in particular being located some 700 kilometers away. In Ukraine, Russian shelling reportedly killed at least three people in two villages near the eastern Ukrainian city of Liman on Tuesday evening. Ukrainian officials, meanwhile, claimed earlier in the day that their forces had entered the village of Robotine, Uh, I hope I'm not mangling that too badly, in Ukraine, Zaporizhia Oblast. uh, At last check, the battle for control of the village was ongoing. If the Ukrainians were to take it, that would put them closer to seizing the town Tokmak, which would be the most significant gain they've made in their two-month counteroffensive. Speaking of which... The narrative in the U.S. media fed by unnamed individuals inside the U.S. government has shifted abruptly in recent days from everything's fine, just be patient, to the Ukrainians are fucking everything up. The New York Times dutifully helped sell the new narrative on Tuesday. Uh, I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from their piece. Ukraine's grinding counteroffensive is struggling to break through entrenched Russian defenses, in large part because it has too many troops, including some of its best combat units, in the wrong places, American and other Western officials say. The main goal of the counteroffensive is to cut off Russian supply lines in southern Ukraine by severing the so-called land bridge between Russia and the occupied Crimean Peninsula. But instead of focusing on that, Ukrainian commanders have divided troops and firepower roughly equally between the east and the south, the U.S. officials said. As a result, more Ukrainian forces are near Bakhmut and other cities in the east than are near Melitopol and Berdyansk in the south, both far more strategically significant fronts, officials say. American planners have advised Ukraine to concentrate on the front driving toward Melitopol, Kyiv's top priority, and on punching through Russian minefields and other defenses, even if the Ukrainians lose more soldiers and equipment in the process. Now, this is me again. Uh, These ass-covering pieces, as you might be able to uh, glean by now all boil down to the same message, which is that U.S. officials can't understand why the Ukrainians aren't willing to get more of their soldiers killed, charging into Russian minefields and making themselves easy targets for Russian airstrikes. Again, it's worth noting that the U.S. military would never undertake an operation under these conditions. And while uh, admittedly, that comparison only gets you so far, it is still an indictment of the U.S. approach to this counteroffensive in general and to the casualty issue in particular. Uh, now, Tuesday's movement in Robo 18A, if I'm not butchering that too badly the second time, may indicate that the Ukrainians are taking this particular criticism to heart and are putting more assets into the southern front. But barring a sudden and at this point unexpected breakthrough, I would expect this stream of don't blame us, blame the Ukrainians pieces to continue emerging. Uh, in Spain, King Felipe VI is reportedly given the People's Party and its leader Alberto Nunez Feijó, uh, first crack at forming a government. Feijoo, sorry, uh, for, first crack at forming a government following last month's election. Uh, this was to be expected, as the People's Party emerged from that election uh, as the largest in the new parliament with control of 137 seats. But the party is thought unlikely to attract enough additional support to get to a majority of 176 seats in the Congress of Deputies. Uh, The People's Party's only path to a majority comes via some sort of arrangement with the far-right Volks Party. But Volks is so noxious to the smaller regional parties in the chamber that it's unlikely enough of them will offer their support to get the People's Party to that majority. Assuming the party does fail to form a government, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and his Socialist Party will then get a chance. Sanchez's chances of achieving majority support are probably better uh, than uh, Feijos, the the conservatives, uh, though it's no lock at this point for him either. On to the Americas in Ecuador. As expected, that country's presidential election on Sunday ended indecisively, meaning the top two finishers will head to a runoff on October 15th. Leftist candidate Luisa Gonzalez won the first round with around 33% of the vote uh, in line with uh, polling. Her opponent in the second round will be Daniel Noboa, who significantly outperformed his polling to take 24% of the vote. Both the relatively small margin of Gonzalez's win and the fact that Noboa was the runner up are surprises. Uh, That may put Noboa in position to attract enough additional support to win the runoff, but there's been no head-to-head polling yet as far as I know. Uh, Voters also decisively opted to stop oil exploration projects uh, in Ecuador's Yasuni National Park, which is a designated UNESCO biosphere reserve and also home to indigenous Ecuadorian communities. Outgoing President Guillermo Lasso had been keen to drill in the park. He got a drill. Uh, But the referendum should, in theory, put an end to those plans. I say in theory because... Really, who knows, I guess. Uh, In Guatemala, anti-corruption candidate Bernardo Arevalo won Sunday's presidential runoff, taking somewhere around 60% of the vote to handily defeat former First Lady Sandra Torres. Incumbent President Alejandro Giamatti Uh, congratulated Arevalo on social media, which may suggest that his government is not planning on trying to undo this result the way it did, uh, attempted to do uh, with Arevalo's second-place finish in June's first round. Uh, Torres, however, uh, has apparently not acknowledged the result yet, and she could be preparing some sort of challenge. Uh, And in the United States, uh, Jim Loeb over at Responsible Statecraft, has a piece reporting on a new study that argues for a radical rethinking of the U.S. government's military-centric approach toward interacting with African states, and I will read you just a bit of this. The recent series of military coups across the Sahelian region should prompt a major reassessment of U.S. military and security assistance to fragile African states, according to a new report by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs that calls for much greater focus on improving governance. Military action might suppress the problem of terrorism, but it will not relieve the underlying conditions that feed it, according to the report. Only improved governance can address these grievances, which means good governance is the foundation for long-term stability. It's time to flip the script, argue the report's authors. Quote, U.S. policy in Africa has for too long prioritized long, short-term security to the detriment of long-term stability by prioritizing the provision of military security assistance. Yet this strategy has neither produced security in Africa nor reduced threats to the United States and its interests, end quote. Among other recommendations, the 67 page report entitled Less is More A New Strategy for U.S. Security Assistance to Africa, which includes several case studies, calls for, quote, reining in its use of security assistance with partners that fail to demonstrate commitment to the reforms necessary to build long term stability, end quote. And it worries that the new paradigm of great power competition between the U.S. and Russia or China could result in even greater reliance on military assistance. Uh, can you, can you even imagine such an outcome? Uh, with that, uh, that's all for us tonight. I want to thank all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter, and especially thanks to those of you who are subscribed to foreign exchanges, and in particular, those of you who are paid subscribers who enable this newsletter to survive. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.